Stuart's going to come and speak now. Let me just pray for him. Father, we thank you for your gifting to Stuart. And as he comes now to bring your word, Lord, may we have ears to hear. May we listen to your word and, and hear what you want to say to each one of us. And I speak a blessing over Stuart now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. That was a bit feeble, really. Um, good morning. That's much better. Hey, great. It's good to be with you today and uh, to be able to come. Now, normally, for the last 14 years, whenever I've stood up like this, the first thing I've done is to bring people greetings from the rest of the family because you're one of 150 churches that I've been serving for these last 14 years. And, and it's a growing family, so even though I can't officially bring you their greeting anymore, let me just encourage you, it is a growing family. In the last few years, we've had about 13 new churches who have become part of SEBA. And uh, this year, there will be another two new churches who will be joining us, and uh, church plants, and, uh, and one new project called the Bread of Life, which if you haven't heard about, we're opening a cafe uh, over in just outside Rochester. Um, it'll be a Christian cafe um, with a bakery, and we've got a minister who is also a baker who is going in, and he runs a thing called the Bread of Life course so that people can come and learn how to bake whilst also learning about the Bread of Life. So do pray for all those uh, continuing situations and rejoice in what the God's doing around the place that we live. Now, I just want to read some verses from the Bible, uh, from Mark chapter uh, 14. <clears throat> On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, the disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, <clears throat> the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. I won't go on with the rest of the story. We're going to live it out in a little while. Uh, but you, uh, I hope, have enjoyed your breakfast this morning. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, good, good. Um, well, we are basically British, and uh, if we, there we go. British people consume about 97% of the world's total production of baked beans, <clears throat> each of us getting through an average of 1,094 tins. Wow. Um, I, there's all sorts of jokes I could make at this point, but I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> but if we uh, hit the button again, there's a few more bits of information for you. The average person will also eat 479 fish fingers, <clears throat> 13,842 packets of crisps, 791 kilograms of chocolate. Actually, and if you hit the button again, there you go. If you buy fair trade chocolates, at least some of the 2,911 pounds that you will spend will help the lives of the growers improve. 
Meanwhile, you're getting on with 13,674 bananas, 7,388 apples, 68,846 kilograms of food, including 680 grams of insect parts a year. It's encouraging, isn't it? Um, I'm not passing comment what you've eaten for breakfast today, but this is mainly because of the fact that there were bits of insect parts in chocolate, uh, but also just when you're running down the road or something, you, know, you, you tend to sometimes swallow, or when you're asleep at night, you sometimes follow, swallow an insect. So that's what you get through. <laughs> food is very important to us. And of course, food can be very memorable. It causes memories in us. The guy who had the pen was the food critic. And uh, as he eats that ratatouille, memories come flooding back. The memory of him falling off his bike and his mum providing him with ratatouille. Because food does that for us. It takes us into places. I guess many of us would have memories of food from the past that has been particularly important to us. Yeah? I mean, I can remember my granny always used to make spotty dick. You know, real spotty dick with suet and uh, and it was and when we'd have it one day and then the next day she'd cut it in sl- what was left, cut in slices and fry it and we'd put sugar on it, about a million calories a slice. <laughs> but it's kind of so emotive. The memory as soon as I think spotty dick, I think of my granny and sitting and eating that. Anybody else got any memories? Apple pie for breakfast. <laughs> Some apple pie. Made by your mum. Yeah. Anybody else got any memories? Porridge. Porridge with clotted cream. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was in, um, I, was, I was walking in Southern Ireland and staying overnight in different places. And we, we stayed in this place and they gave us, they asked if we wanted special porridge for breakfast. So I said, yes. And two girls brought the porridge in. One brought the porridge, the other one brought the, the cream, the sugar, and the whiskey to put on it. <laughs> Any other memories? Things, food that's emotive, yes. Pork bao, a bit like dim sum. Yeah, wonderful. Anybody else? Big Granny's Pink Biscuits. Okay. When we start thinking about food, we start thinking about memories and, and, and how much different types of food have meant to us. And that's what it is when we come to the Passover meal. When we're thinking about the communion. If we go to that third slide, I think it is. The Passover, the Seder. Is, it's a meal that is full of memories. It's full of meaning. For the disciples, from from then on, they were always going to be taken back to that upper room whenever they had that meal. Of course, for the Jews before them, that also took them back to leaving Egypt. Food that has memories, food that is evocative. A missionary was walking in the jungle in Africa when he saw a lion approaching. Oh Lord, he prayed, grant in thy goodness that this lion is a good Christian lion. In the silence that followed, the missionary heard the lion pray, O Lord, I thank thee for this food which I'm about to receive. (laughs) Amen. A four-year-old Josh and his family were visiting grandparents for a meal, and Grandpa asked Josh if he wanted to say the blessing. So Josh and everyone else bowed their heads 
and Josh started mumbling the blessing at such a low volume that Grandpa couldn't make out what he was saying. When grace was over, with a louder Amen, Grandpa said, Josh, it was very nice of you to say the blessing for us, but I couldn't hear what you said. Josh replied, I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> now, looking at this memorable meal that, we've, that we're thinking about this morning, that we're going to be sharing in this morning, not breakfast, the bread and the wine, <laughs> um, there are two people that I just want to draw our attention to uh, this morning. And the first is this one. Because it tells us that they were to go into the city and they would see a man carrying a jar of water. Now that stood out because men didn't carry water jars. That was a job for women. Sorry ladies, but that's the reality. For a man to be seen... Um, carrying a jar of water. It would be a bit like if you went out onto the high street of uh, Adelson this morning and you saw a guy walking along wearing stiletto, stilettos and a dress. You think, that's a bit odd. <laughs> to see a man walking down carrying a jar of water in that culture, it was going to stand out because this was something that men didn't do. But Jesus must have arranged this in advance with this friend. A friend who seems to have learned from Jesus about service. So much so that he was prepared to do something that his culture saw as quite strange. When I was in South Africa, in the black townships, one of the things I was doing, I taught ministers, black ministers, because they were all men, <laughs> uh, how to do the washing up because that was just totally, culturally, they just didn't do that. And a whole village would come out to see these ministers learning how to do the washing up, because it was so culturally different. But I, I was, it was about teaching them to be servants, to serve other people. Even if it made them stand out and look different, they needed to learn that. So here we have this unnamed servant carrying this water jar. By the way, I do think there is a special place in heaven for unnamed servants. You know, that when we get to heaven, the people who are going to be at the front are not going to be the preachers, the pastors, the famous people, the popes. <laughs> it's going to be the people who just got on with serving without any special deal. We get a lot of adulation now. But those people who just get on with serving not looking for any adulation, they're going to be the ones at the front who are going to be praised the most when we get to heaven. Amen? Amen. Okay, so, um, you know, obviously, uh, I wish that uh, my good deeds had been identified lots, but uh, I wish I'd got an OBE for my services. But <laughs> the reality is those who just get on and serve the ones who get the communion ready in the background, the ones who put the notices on the table, the ones who look after their neighbours and their friends without expecting any reward, the ones who don't get the limelight, they're the ones who will be made special when we get to heaven. So if that's the first person, the second person is uh, the person who received this money. His name's Judas. Judas. Judas means praise or the praised one. 
but we don't get many people calling their children Judas nowadays. If you notice that, you know. um, it sounds like a great name, doesn't it? Calling your child the praised one, but actually nobody uses the word any, the name anymore. Interestingly, these 12, you're going to like this, the, <laughs> these 12 disciples who met with Jesus in this upper room were all northerners, except for one. There was one southerner, one educated southerner, and that was Judas. <laughs> and... Um, you know, among all the northerners, he was the only one from the trendy, educated south. He'd been to grammar school and to Oxbridge. He was clever. He knew his sums, and he got made the treasurer. And he's the one who betrayed Jesus. Jesus washed his feet. He didn't wash the feet of the other 11 and get to Judas and say, well, I know what you're going to do. <laughs> He washed the feet of Judas as well. And after the meal, rather, at the meal, he dipped his bread into the bowl and gave him some cheroset, which is a mixture of uh, um, fruit, nuts, wine, honey, and spices. And it symbolizes the mortar or the mud that the Israelites had to make bricks out of when they were in slavery in Egypt. So that's part of the Passover meal, the Seder. That, this is what they ate. And uh, so it's, another, it's a meal full of memories for, them, for those disciples. And uh, Jesus, uh, sorry, John was sitting on the right-hand side of Jesus, which means that Judas was sitting on his left-hand side. That's the right, on his left-hand side. And in Jewish meals, this was the place of the honoured guest. You sat on the left-hand side if you were the honoured guest. Judas was on the left-hand side of Jesus. And Jesus calls him friend. Even at his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus calls Judas his friend. Jesus didn't give up on Judas. What grace. It shows that he doesn't give up on me. Or you. And I guess if we had time this morning and we went round, we'd find that all of us have let him down. All of us have done stuff that we're ashamed of. But Jesus hasn't given up on us. And he didn't give up on Judas. He actually gave him the cheroset. He served him as the honoured guest. He washed his feet and called him friend. But not only do we have the cheroset, uh, but as you can see there, it's being served with uh, unleavened bread. And uh, this unleavened bread was because they had to leave Egypt so quickly as the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, leaving Egypt. There wasn't time to put uh, um, stuff into the bread to get it to rise. So they had unleavened bread, and they did ever since. Um, now, it's very interesting. I don't know if you can tell on those pieces of bread that are there, a bit different to the, um, to the toast that we had this morning, but you can see it's, both, it's got holes in it and it's 
baked in such a way that it's got stripes on it. Can you see that? There are stripes and there are holes. Um, <laughs> Isaiah tells us in 53 verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. See, this bread talks about Jesus because it's got his stripes and his piercings on it, in it. So the matzah, which is what this is, the matzah speaks to us of the body of Jesus. And then during the meal, there's not only the, uh, this bread, but there is wine as well. And between the second and third cup, because there's several cups that are drunk, we always just end, normally end up with one little shot glass, don't we, when we have communion? But in a proper Passover meal, there are several glasses of wine. And between the second and the third cup, the father of the family will take a bag and open it up. And inside this bag, there are three of these matzos, three of these pieces of bread. And uh, he will take the middle one, and he will break it, and then he will put it into a linen napkin and hide it. Later on, the kids are sent to find it. And after they've had the third cup of wine, they find it and they bring it out. And this piece of matzah, this piece of bread, is called the afikomen. Don't worry about the words, you don't need to remember all that. But the afikomen is important. You see, if you ask an Orthodox Jew what this is all about, they don't really know. They know that they do this, they take the middle bit and they break it and the kids go and find it and all the rest of it. But they don't actually know why it is. Some of them will say, well, it's because the three pieces of bread are the priests, the Levites and the Israelites. Uh, so why is it, the, if it's priests, Levites, and Israelites, why are the, the, the Levites broken? What's that all about? Doesn't make any sense. But it does explain it if you understand that we worship a God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Afikoman is the middle one, the Son of God, Jesus, who is taken and broken and hidden away and then is found and brought out as he comes back to life after his death and resurrection. So right the way through this meal, there is so much <laughs> that we miss because we just have a little shotgun and a bit of glass. Shotgun? Shot glass. <laughs> and, and a little bit of bread. See, the whole meal speaks not only about what happened in Egypt, but what happens to Jesus because Jesus is taken, he's wrapped up in linen, his grave clothes, and then hidden behind the stone in the tomb. Now, I'm going to rush on a little bit here because uh, the next slide is just all about the Passover lamb. And uh, I'm aware that we've just had breakfast and you're probably not wanting a long sermon this morning. But all of this, so if you just go through those, that's brilliant. Okay, All those bits talk about the way in which Jesus is the Passover lamb, who is the Afikoman, <laughs> who is slain for us, and through his death and resurrection, he is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Just want to pick out one thing. 
Can you see the guy putting the, the blood on the door lintels? Yeah? You see, it wasn't enough that they sacrificed a lamb. They had to apply the blood to the doorposts. It is not enough that Jesus has died for me. I have to apply that to my life. I have to acknowledge that Jesus has died for me and that his blood is what saves me. When the angel of death flew over, it was the houses that had applied the blood to the doorposts where they were saved. And I have to apply the blood of Jesus to my life if I want to be saved. There are lots of people who have admired Jesus. There are lots of people who have seen him as one of the great masters, a great teacher, a good example. But they haven't applied his death and resurrection to themselves. They haven't availed themselves of his sacrifice. They haven't accepted his lordship. I am dousing myself with cosmetics to stop me from smelling quite strong. Max Factor, Gillette, I've tried them all, yet I'm convinced that something is wrong. I go into Boots every Wednesday. The assistants are ever so nice. And there I buy Brute to make me feel cute and to help kill the lice. Yet still I'm convinced that something is wrong. I've even tried Vim. My future looks dim, because now I just foam when it rains. So, dear Oste Lauder, do tell me, when my hair is all dyed and I'm full of spice, is it a phase? Please help me erase the sweat stain that lies deep inside. <laughs> None of the perfumes in the world are going to deal with what's wrong inside us. But the blood of Jesus does. So this wine that we, uh, that we partake of, the bread and the wine declare the death and resurrection of Jesus until he comes again. Now, Jesus enjoyed eating with the disciples and with many other friends. Certain meals stand out, don't they? Eating at the home of Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, the Last Supper, at which he reinterpreted the Passover meal for his disciples, including us. The feeding of the 5,000, eating at Matthew's home, eating at the home of Simon the leper, the party at the home of Zacchaeus. Well, there's Jesus ate and enjoyed eating with people. But different cultures have different conventions and etiquette. You know, many young people enjoy discovering the way in which some Arab cultures you belch at the end of a meal to show that you've enjoyed it. In Britain, you should not do this. Um, in some company, what you do with your knives at the end of a meal or during a meal speak to the waiters and the waitresses. Give this one. Okay, you may not be aware of this, but in some places, if you put your plate, your knife and your fork down on your plate at angles like that, it means you're just having a pause. Please do not clear my plate away. I have not yet finished. If, on the other hand, you're ready for a second plate of this delicious food, you put them in a crossed position. If you want to say this food was excellent, you put the knives sideways on. If you have finished, then you put your knife and fork straight down the middle to say, I've, I've done, you can, you can clear my plate. If, on the other hand, you do not like what you've eaten, then you put your knife and your fork with the knife into the fronds of the, the fork and put them on your plate like that. And then you're saying to the establishment, I do not like this food. <laughs> 
Well, when you've finished a meal, and you do what we haven't done this morning, and that's to have a napkin, and you take your napkin. Now, in Middle Eastern culture, if you have a napkin, and you have eaten your food, and you have really liked your food, you screw the napkin up and you put it on the table beside your plate. And you're saying, that was really good, I enjoyed that. And I'm glad I've eaten it. If, on the other hand, you um, carefully fold up your napkin, and then you very carefully put it on the table in front of you, that is also saying something. What that is saying is, I have found the service to be unfriendly, the food to be terrible, and I don't ever intend coming back here again. Okay? So you hadn't got any napkins on the table this morning, so you haven't been able to do that, which you wouldn't have done anyway. You'd have all screwed your napkin up nicely and put it on your plates, I'm sure. But you see, when Jesus dies and the disciples run to the tomb, and John stops and looks through the entrance, and Peter, being Peter, rushes in. <laughs> What's the first thing John sees? He sees that the napkin, because that's what, the, he, what the, the, the Greek means, the napkin that was wrapped around the head of Jesus has been carefully placed at the foot of where he lay, on the head of where he lay. So even with his napkin, Jesus was sending a message. He didn't leave it all screwed up and saying, well, that was good fun. He puts the napkin there when he is resurrected and saying, I don't ever want to do that again. In fact, I don't ever intend doing that again because I never need to do that again because my death has accomplished everything that it needs to accomplish. It is finished. Hallelujah. Because that means for you and me, that's it. There, does no, there no needs to be a sacrifice. There needs to be no more mass. There needs to be no more death. Because Jesus has done it all. And he says, that's it. Job done. Hallelujah. <laughs> this was not a temporary resuscitation like it was for Lazarus. This was permanent resurrection. So we're going to have communion. And we're going to remember what Jesus has done for us. He is the Lamb of God who died for us. And by his blood, we are forgiven and have new life. Eternal life. Resurrection life. Amen.